Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastop Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football, as always, this week. We have Keely York back on the show. Follow her on Twitter, at Keely is my name, or you can follow her on the Parastyle as well. If you have any questions or comments for us here on the show, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424 424- Two five four nine one four one. But we'd prefer if you have one of those Apple devices, go to your Apple Podcasts app. Please subscribe to the Parastyle Podcast. Leave us a five star rating, positive review. Any questions, feedback, suggestions you have for the show, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, we'll bump you right up to the top of the list. And I know Keely's been looking at these reviews, so we're going to talk to her right now and see what you guys had to say. First, first of all, welcome in, Keely. How you doing today? Hello, hello, Ryan. Doing well. How are you doing? You know, cannot complain. We're, what, year two of the <laughs> pandemic now or year four or something? I'm not sure where we are. Year 10. Not sure. Year, year t- yeah, it's, uh, I remember like last year, March went by like super slow and then other other months kind of like flew by. But it's so, sort of like you're like expecting a lot in 2021. And here we are. It feels a lot like last year. <laughs> yeah, I'm going into this year with zero expectations. That way I can be uh pleasantly surprised if anything good happens how about that <laughs> yeah well check that out uh well do we have any um new uh reviews Keely? we do we have actually two new reviews uh first off it's from michael from san francisco who gave us a five-star review and said excellent podcast I came across uscfootball.com about four to five years ago, and I've been hooked ever since. The podcast, as well as everyone involved, are excellent. Love it. So thanks, Michael, for that. Thanks, Michael. And then we have another five-star review from Polly Wog, who actually included a question. Uh, his title, though, was Missing Our Man Dan. We all are Polly Wog. Uh, but he says, who are the top candidates to replace Aaron Osmus and Tim Drevno? Love the show. Paul from Valencia. Ah, okay. So sort of like getting into the meat of things. <laughs> yeah, right, off the uh, right away. So what I would say first is I would recommend all of you go and subscribe to uscfootball.com. If you're not already VIP membership, you can do it for a dollar. So it's really cheap. Get in there your first month for a buck. Uh, if you want to do an annual, they're doing 30% off right now. So uh, it's a great deal. Uh, make sure you go check it out and you'll read stuff every week in the war room. Uh, every Friday, we put more information about the searches and stuff in there. We also have a offensive line coach hot board that we've done a couple of versions of. Keeley dropped some scoop this week. Uh, you know, different candidates that have come up for the job. USC is definitely out there um, doing some some interviews and stuff. Don't expect it to be the same old, same old searches you've seen from USC in the past. It, it's different. It's the searches, the coaches' searches have been different since Mike Bone came into play uh, a little over a year ago. And this co- this these searches will be a little bit different as well. I think you'd probably agree, Keely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as we've seen with how they went 
through Dante Williams hire and other other coaches last season. Um, it's going to be different. The It's not going to be the old Heritage Hall where everything leaked every two seconds. We knew every move they were making. Both uh, Mike Bone and Vernon Sosna really want to keep things in their inner circle and want to keep things quiet, not only just to manage leaks, but also to give them a, a competitive advantage in that sense. So um, if you hear leaks, it's probably coming from the other side of things in these interviews and negotiations and whatnot. So I think for USC fans, they should be encouraged that it's different that there isn't a lot of info out there because if you want different results, you're going to have to have a different process. And so that's what we've seen so far. And I think more important than just that part of the process, which is certainly important, but when you're doing a more buttoned up approach and there's analytics involved and there's just logic, there's not, well, we know <laughs> that guy, you know, yeah. well, he's, yeah. he knows how we do things. Let's get him. Um, that was the old way. And I don't think, you're going to see uh, the new way uh, be like that. Like a guy like uh, Mike Goff is on the the list and, um, you know, he was at USC and that's like what you would think before. Oh, he was at USC. Just bring him on in. Now, his resume has been really good uh, since then and he's getting, you know, rave reviews. So it doesn't preclude you, preclude you from hiring someone that's been around the program, but that can't be the only requirement. And I think that's the biggest difference is, you know, what I always say is like, I don't want anyone that doesn't know the fight, you know, that, that knows the fight song. Do not bring anyone that knows the fight song. I got like Mike, like he looks like he'd be a pretty good candidate and he knows the fight song. It's okay. I don't think this administration is worried. Number one, do they know the fight song? That's what the old administrations were. They need to know yeah. how we do things. And I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely the sense I get is, okay, well, who's the best candidate? Who's the best fit? for the existing staff we have right now. And then they're going to go out and try and find that person. So that's what we've, we've seen, or at least got the sense from, and I think they're continuing it um, on this round of searches, but they're still in the interview process right now. Um, I know there's a report that came out on Sunday about uh, USC offering uh, the job, the offensive line job to Arkansas's Brad Davis. Uh, I got more clarity on that from a source. Apparently like Brad Davis was interviewed, but uh, they never got to the the offer stage. There were never numbers discussed or anything like that. So the sense I got was that was kind of maybe like an agent leaking that out maybe a little bit and trying to boost his guy up because um, that they it was very, very early stages for Davis. So um, I know the P kind of took that and ran with it. It was like, oh, well, he turned down USC. And that's not the sense I got from talking to a couple sources. So, um, you know, that that was one of the updates, but other than that, they're still in the interview process and they're still trying to vet everyone right now. So, and like we said last week, um, it's going to take some time because they definitely want to make sure that they're doing things right and getting the best candidate. So uh, it's still a process right now. Yeah. Um, but make sure you check out the pair style. Uh, we'll have uh, updated information as we, uh, as we get it, we'll keep talking to sources, figure out what's going on there. But I think you, if you're a USC fan, just feel confident that it's going to be, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get a great hire for either of those spots, but the process is going to be much better. And I think your chances of landing somebody very good, it just goes up a lot when you have competent people running the search, which USC hasn't had for many, many years. So that's a good thing. Um, yeah. And oh, good. sorry, Ryan. No, you're no, no. You're and I think, I think I meant, mentioned this last podcast, but I think there's something to be said for we always hear in the little statements that they give out like, oh, Mike Bone has provided resources. And that's something that I've kind of picked up on is that like back in the day, USC, even though they wanted to retain Clay Hilton, they wouldn't want to really open the purse strings to let him 
move things around or get maybe the best. So it sounds like this new administration is at least more willing to spend money to get, if you want the best, you have to spend a lot of a good, a good amount of money. And so I feel like this administration is more willing to do that where the sense I got is that last administration didn't fully want to do that or fully want to support Helton in that sense. So I think that's why you see those breadcrumbs uh, in those statements that USC like gives out about, Oh, bone is supporting Clay Helton. That's what it means is that they're, they're actually giving him financial support to try and match um the, the top universities because college football has evolved so much. And I don't think the old administration in, in heritage hall wanted to keep up with that financially, you know? So I think it's different this time around in that sense as well. Yeah. The old administration was sort of behind the times for like the way college football used to be, but the name and all that stuff kind of kept you in there. And if you got a perfect coach and everything works out, you can still win. Then the, the landscape changed and you, you know, USC was behind before and now they're way behind. So this is sort of an effort to kind of uh, bridge that gap a little bit. And I think if Clay Hilton's head coach for the next 10 years or next six months, you, you know, you need to build a better infrastructure around the football program. So uh, I think that's what they're doing right now. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's, uh, we want to thank our sponsor Trader Joe's before we roll into uh, the rest of the show. Hopefully you guys have uh, been checking it out. I've been going a couple times a week now. I'm going a little bit more than uh, maybe I was before, but just going in there. And if you like, uh, if you have to, you know, there's birthdays and stuff happening now. You got these COVID birthdays. You want to drop off a gift at like a friend's porch. I recommend if you want to go in the Trader Joe's, your your friends like likes wine. They have little wine gift bags right in the wine section. You kind of find a nice bottle of something you like. You can put it in the gift bag. Boom. You got your instant present right there. And uh, I always like trying different stuff because there's a lot of good wines. You can, you know, vi- various prices, a lot of cheap wines that are, that are taste very good. And I saw that someone grabbed, I think it's called a uh, Petiole Pinot Noir, which I've been drinking some Pinot Noir lately, Keely, but it's P E T I O L E. <laughs> it's got a little like orangish yellowish uh, label and uh, man, it was really good. It's like eight fifty or so. It was like nine bucks, like less than nine bucks. And I saw a lady grab a couple of bottles and I asked her, I'm like, Hey, do you like that? She's like, oh yeah, me and my husband love it. And like, and then another lady behind me grabbed it too. Cause she goes, my husband's brand. I don't see it anymore. I'm going to grab this too. So we all like bought this and uh, man, it was, uh, it was really good. So if you want to go check it out, you know, uh, friendly people keep your distance, but you know, you can uh, get some advice from people buying wines. I like doing that. Just like, Hey, what do you like? If someone grabs like six bottles or something, you're like, all right, they know what they're doing here. I think. Yeah. Wow. You're making friends at Trader Joe's, Ryan. You got to trust the ladies who go for like multiple bottles of wine. They know what's up for sure. <laughs> yeah. It was like double fist, like boom, like I grabbed them like, oh yeah, I want to get some of that. So, but the, the, the gift thing's great. Like they got the little gift bags right there. So, and if you want, you can put a little flowers next to it, you get from Trader Joe's. So uh, you want to do the social go. distancing gifts that you can drop off of somebody's porch. Boom. I did that this weekend. So that was good. There you go. Well done. Yeah. yeah we do what we can. All right. Uh, well, we talked a little bit about it, the offensive line, uh, coaching search. Haven't heard as much on the strength and conditioning search. Um, you know, definitely being conducted, like Keely said, I think trying to keep things a little um, closer to the vest. I think it's significant, you know, moving off of, uh, of an Aaron Osmus. And I feel like if you, when we were being critical, Keely, of, Hey, these are the guys that fixed problems two years ago. Why are you fixing the problems again? Yeah. The, the feeling I'm getting from the administration is, well, 
the athletic department was a different department two years ago. So when you fixed the problem, you didn't really have the support of the athletic department. Now you do. So you can sort of refix those problems. And I think it seems like in their mind, like, that's fine. Like we're, you know, that's pre Mike bone, you know, anything pre Mike bone wasn't necessarily fixed. And I think that's, that's true. Um, but it's still Cleo's head coach. And these are problems you fixed two years ago. And now you got to fix them again. Um, I like, I like that the department is supporting him and, and, you know, going out there and helping find, you know, good assistant coaches to put around Clay Helton. It's just, I still just have an issue with why is this happening again, two years, you know, two years later. Yeah. I mean, from the outside, if you just look at that, you're like, okay. And the whole, we talked about it so many times, the Notre Dame quote unquote rebuild, but it's very delayed and takes three years to do so. You know, it's not a successful process. And that's why I think it's hard to judge all of this just because it just seems very poorly done, but then you have new guys coming in and trying to create a better system and a better foundation. So I think that's why you have to kind of hold judgment, even though this has been such a long process for USC fans to quote unquote fix what's going on. And then, you know, they look at it and they're like, well, Clay Helton's still the coach, so it won't really be fixed. And I understand that to a certain degree, but yeah, I think it's, I think the sense you're getting is right, Ryan. I think they look at it like, Hey, yes, this looks bad in the long trajectory, but we weren't here and we want to fix it. So I think that's what they're trying to do. And I know Helton actually has, um, I know people are trying to say that Helton doesn't have any real say in, in the staff or personnel with this new administration, but he also has input as well. So I, I've heard that he's had the input to strengthen the strength and conditioning coach because he'll work directly with him. You know, obviously that's an important pick for the head coach. So he is getting choices for this, but will the head coach or will the strength and conditioning coach still stay on if they do make a head coaching change? That's something that I haven't really got a sense of. And is that because, you know, usually – strength and conditioning coaches are tied to a head coach. So is this a temporary fix? Like that's why I can't really figure out Ryan is like, why are you making this decision when you might make a, a, a choice that head coach later down the line? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I feel like just the, the gut feeling I'm getting is that there's really an effort to build up as much infrastructure around the football program as possible. And in the football program, no matter who the head coach is. And if it's, like I said, if it's Clay Helton for the next decade, or if he, you know, he has one more season or half a season or whatever it is left, they still want to have good pieces in place around him. And I, you know, my gut feeling is more of say you bring in an offensive coach, you know, and he's running, you know, like what something like what Nick Rolovich runs, like a run and shoot. You're probably not keeping Graham Harrell. Uh, maybe you keep some of the uh, offensive assistants. He might want to keep all the defensive assistants because they really, it was an upgrade of what USC had before. They might want to keep Sean Snyder, who's a special teams guru. You know, they, they might want to keep the new strength and conditioning coach, whoever that is, or it could be, you bring in a defensive minded guy and they do blow out, you know, the, the defensive staff that was brought in or maybe keep a couple of guys or whatever it is. And you might keep the, you know, the air raidish kind of stuff with, with Graham Harrell and, and the rest, I feel like they're doing it. So it's not like, okay, whoever, if they have to replace a head coach in a year or so, you don't necessarily need to blow all the assistants out. You have really good assistants almost everywhere now, if, if not everywhere, or they will. And that's a, that's an upgrade from where it was before. And I think in their mind, it could be a more attractive landing space for, you know, for anyone that would want to come in and take the job. And 
they yeah. might not keep all of them. They, what if you keep half? You know, I don't think if you had fired Clay Helton like two years ago, new coach is not probably keeping half the staff. They're probably getting rid of everybody. Um, you know, if they hired someone in 2021, there's a lot of reasons to keep a lot of the staff if they if they wanted to, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. I think I think the the largest point that we keep making is they're just trying to make a better foundation. And that's what they can do in the meantime, because they're kind of handcuffed with the whole Clay Helton decision, as we've said before. You know? Yeah. We've we talked about that before. I don't know. Does that come up? <laughs> we've never talked about Clay Helton before, ever, at all. No, <laughs> no, no one wants to know about that. Yeah. Um, little transfer portal news. I think the last time since we talked, uh, what was it? Um, J- Jalen McKenzie decided he was going to stay. And yeah. Damon Johnson. We talked about that a little bit on the uh, Harvey Hyde podcast. So we've covered it on the podcast, but we didn't mention it here. No, no real surprises there, right? But we haven't. I thought we'd get some more seniors making announcements. Yes, but so far nothing. Yeah, we still have, I believe, five days until you have to declare if you're going to leave. So we'll see. I know Isaiah Pullmau was a name that kept coming up about whether or not he'll go earlier closer to the Pac-12 championship game I was told that he was one of the guys who will go and now I got an update last week that he's now on the fence not fully sure if he should go I know um, some people think that he still needs to develop a little bit more before he tries to go to the next level so we'll see but the fact that he's kind of backed off from a a sure hey I'm going to leave to now I'm on the fence I think that's kind of notable and Jalen McKenzie from him for him to announce that he was coming back he's a guy who I heard a little bit of transfer portal rumors for him which didn't fully make sense to me but that was something that I was hearing and so the fact that he decided to return um, at least is big for USC's uh, offensive line depth just because they're still trying to put those pieces together and now you have ABT definitely gone uh, for next season so uh, the fact that you get Jalen McKenzie back is good at least for the puzzle piece that USC will have to try and come up with um, and then I don't know if you mentioned it already, Ryan, but Marquis Stepp decided to commit to Nebraska. Um, and as I mentioned before, he was a guy who I just, he didn't feel like a guy who would put his name in the portal and somehow come back to USC. He just seemed like he was ready uh, to move on. And, and Steph had kind of always felt like a big 10 back to me a little bit. So I think he will do well. I kind of peruse the, the Nebraska sites and I think they have some young running backs. So he might be a good fit for Steph in that sense. So Obviously, we wish him all the best in his future endeavors. But yeah, some some newsier items involving the transfer portal and guys leaving and staying and whatnot. Yeah, so Marquis stepped in Nebraska. I think it makes sense. He's you know he's a Midwestern kid. He's a big yeah. bruising back. Never seemed to fit, even though he was a fan favorite. Like we, yeah. I mean, what did we get more? Like okay, we get the most like complaints about Clay Helton. <laughs> Second. I mean, it might be about Marky Steph. I don't know. Like there was, I mean, we we get other complaints, you know, but now the air raid, there's a lot of complaints this year. But, you know, why is it Marky Steph getting more touches was like a thing for quite a while. Yeah, definitely in 2019. And and that's why it's it's bad for USC to lose Steph. It's just because he was such a unique back for USC. USC needs that power back to just kind of burst through uh, maybe not the biggest holes that USC, USC's offensive line is making for him. So USC definitely is going to miss some power in that sense. Um, and I understand why he was a fan favorite. But it's also worth noting that he had a hard time staying healthy throughout his career. That was something that just 
injuries after injuries lingered. And even in his high school career, he had lingering hamstring issues. So um, it's, it, I think it's twofold. You know, I think he could have been used better, but also he wasn't healthy uh, for a large part of his Trojan career. So it's kind of unfortunate in that sense that he never found his stride really um, in this offense. Yeah. Well, we wish him the best. Uh, I mean, he is a great kid and it's someone that you kind of want to see, um, you know, do well somewhere. And, and you know, that's going to yeah. be one of those things we're going to, he has like a 150 yard game for Nebraska next year. Like we're going to hear about it on the peristyle <laughs> yep. for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. just like sort of like the JT Daniels stuff, which is really strange because you know, people just trash JT Daniels and we're like, Oh, he's terrible. Why would you even talk you know, about him? Like we, you guys have, we were like, no, I think we, I think th- we said, we think he's good. He goes to Georgia and like, doesn't play right away. Like, see, we told you he sucked. And he does well at Georgia. Like, why did we let him go? The Clayton's an idiot. And you're just like, okay, like, I don't know what to tell you guys. Um, exactly. But with, yeah, so we wish Marquis Step the best. Uh, last sort of like newsy thing. The final AP poll came out. Keely, does it matter? No, unless you're number one. No. But USC was number 21. Um, not too much. But in the way too early polls, like the one we have up on CBS right now, USC is tied for 12th. I think with Miami or something. I forget, I forget who it was, was, but um, yeah, like above Oregon. Um, I don't know. To me, Keely, like USC is going to be a less talented version in 2021 than they were in 2020. So I'm having a harder time picturing USC moving up in the polls from where they are right now. Yeah. I mean, I think this is just the case of USC's brand power doing its thing. I think a lot of people, especially on the East Coast, don't fully watch every game or look at the details of each USC game. So I think it's easy to be like, oh, we need a West Coast team. Oh, USC, that's a good brand. And so I think that's what you're saying, because I think some of the guys um, who made the way too early polls who actually watch these things closely, I think Stuart Mandel didn't even have USC ranked in the way too early polls. So I think Guys who've seen what USC kind of is at a more detailed level didn't have USC as high, whereas people who kind of just see the broad, hey, they're talented, Keen Slovis is coming back, kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt and ranked them pretty high. So I think this is just a case of uh, the brand power doing its thing for USC. I think you're, I think you nailed that. I think that's exactly right. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you got to rank a, a West Coast team. Oregon looked like do I guess you could say. Is that the technical term um, in their <laughs> sure, bowl game? Yeah. Even though USC looked like doo-doo the week before playing against Oregon. <laughs> but um, So I think overall, like looking at 2021, we'll have plenty of time to do that between now and then. I do think you're losing some huge playmakers, right? There's some big yeah. playmakers that are gone. But there's you know still a bunch of talent on this team. My gut is that like Oregon will will pass USC in the 24/7 sports you know talent composite that was sort of a transition year for Oregon like they had to replace the whole offensive line Justin Herbert all that stuff and they still yeah. won the, the conference weird way but they won um USC did not USC had way better players in my opinion i think they're going to be less talented and maybe you know they'll be better coached uh with the new offensive line coach maybe they'll be better prepared with a new strength and conditioning coach i think that's what the what they're thinking that the schedule is going to be significantly easier than it was supposed to be for 2020. Um, now San Jose state, no joke, right They're They're a legit team. That was mm-hmm. the replacement game for uh, UC Davis. Um, so you just pick a team that's undefeated, which is interesting. And then 
you know, they had to go through a lot, obviously, go and play up in Humboldt and all that stuff. They persevered for sure. And, uh, you know, you still got to play Notre Dame was a playoff team. But, you know, you're not playing Oregon. You're not playing Washington. Those those games are off the schedule. So I think it's a, you know, last year was going to be tough for USC to even go like eight and four, I think, like orig- the original schedule. You know, this year, like nine and three is probably, you know, pretty reasonable, like even if you don't play that well. Um, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. But I don't know if you're – are your expectations changing much, Keila? I, I just think it's not going to be as talented, and they're still probably going to lose some games that they shouldn't. But the schedule is just not as hard. Just like this year, the schedule wasn't very hard, and the only the only real game they played, they lost. Um, you could argue, you know, and you know they lose another name next year, probably. You know that, but like I don't know if they're going to be losing a whole bunch of games. Like the Pac-12 is just not very good. Yeah, I mean, I think I have still the same concerns I had coming into this season, you know, what is USC's offensive line? What is it going to look like in 2021? I think that's where the biggest talent drop off is going to happen. And so I don't think I can fully predict how 2021 is going to go until we know what the final staff will look like. If they get some world beater offensive line coach, which I don't think there are many out there to begin with, but if they do, who can develop players and develop them pretty quickly, then maybe we're more optimistic about this USC team. But I think it's hard when you have a new coach coming in, you have less talent on the offensive line. What is that going to look like? I don't know. And then I think something that I didn't think about coming into 2020 was what will Keaton Slovis look like in 2021? That was something where we had high expectations coming into the season. And now it's like, okay, does he have um, kind of the mental toughness or figured out the arm technique or whatever was going on in 2020? Is that fixed has Graham Harrell worked on that have they worked on that over the offseason and he, does he look more like uh the Keaton Slovis of freshman year versus his kind of sophomore slump we saw so I think those are the key factors for me and I think Todd Orlando proved that more time with his scheme more practices I think this defense will look good and so I think the main concerns for me coming in is is the offensive line Keaton Slovis performance and maybe what happens to the middle linebackers the inside linebackers that depth and do you get Solomon Tuiala Pupu back, stuff like that. So, I mean, I, speaking of way too early, it's way too early to start predicting what the 2021 team will look like or how they'll do, but there are some definite concerns coming into this next season. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have plenty of time to discuss all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. To, just a sneak preview, you know? Um, sure. Yeah. We do a little sneak preview of what's going on. Okay. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, answer some questions. So back in a minute. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, and uh, here's my favorite drop. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. Yeah, not for us, though. We we love listening to our audience because it's fun, and especially, Keely, during the offseason, you know. We, yeah. We need different topics to talk about. So, you know, maybe they get a little... 
overused. We get we hear the same ones a few times, but that's okay. Uh, we love to hear from the listeners, and thanks to everyone that sent in their emails and texts and and voice. We got one voicemail today. Uh, yeah, I don't know where. Why don't we start with a couple of the emails, Keely? Where do you want to start? Sure, let's start with our buddy Stephen Poway, who sent an email to the both of us. He said, "Dear Ryan and Keely, as I watched the national championship game tonight, I couldn't help but think." about how huge the gap is between USC and those two teams. I hate to say it, but I don't think USC would have ever had a prayer against either team. Alabama has depth at every position, is very well coached, and their offensive line play their offensive play calling under Coach Sark was brilliant. Do you think President Carol Folt was watching tonight and thinking the same thing I was? Or do you think football is no longer a priority for USC? Steve and Poway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Steve, okay. I don't think Carol Folt was watching. I don't think it's going to impact her decision at all. I do think USC could not hang with either one of those teams. I think it might have been the AP, like Dan uh, Greenstein like, with the AP like tweeted that, yeah, Oregon was supposed to play Ohio State. USC was supposed to play um, Alabama. And neither of those teams would have been, they would have been blown off the field. And I agree with that 100%. Um, there are teams that were devastated by the coronavirus and the pandemic. And there were teams that benefited. And I will 100% say USC benefited because this would have been an exposure year had USC had to play the original schedule, normal circumstances. I just feel like it was going to be not pretty from what I saw on the field. It was a miracle 5-1 and one finish, 5-1 uh, and one season. But Notre Dame, Alabama were not winnable games from what I saw. This was you, you needed this, this offense to like take the next step and be elite elite after being really good in 2019. It didn't happen. Um, yeah. you weren't going to win games like that. So yeah, this is, uh, you're right. I mean, there is a huge chasm between where USC is and where those teams are. And when you're talking about championships, like I feel bad that what USC was talking about as far as a championship goes is that weird game in the Coliseum that we saw the Oregon confetti and all that stuff that was just not really well played and someone was going to end up winning and, and Oregon is, you know, what, four and three and they're the PAC 12 champions or whatever it is. If you compare that, like that's, you're calling that a championship. And then what we saw Monday night, that's a different championship. Like there's, you know, there's a chasm between those. So I don't like just the word we're playing for championships because it just does, it does a disservice to what we saw Monday night. Um, that was a Ohio state team that played without a lot of dudes. Um, we saw, I mean, even like the Cleveland Browns played without their offensive coordinator, the head coach, I mean, all these guys, they had, there was an offensive lineman that Baker Mayfield met that day. Like literally like they talked that morning and they blew out my Steelers. So, I mean, the people were able to navigate problems from this pandemic. USC's problems this year weren't because of the pandemic. They were helped by the pandemic. And there is a huge difference between the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world and anything in the Pac-12 and certainly USC. Yeah, I well said, Ryan. I completely agree. I, I mean, I don't think... To say that they were helped by the pandemic, I think there was a lot of hurdles that the USC team had to jump through, especially being in L.A. County. So that's the one caveat I'll have. But I do think if this season plays out 
without COVID, the regular season we saw, we're talking about a new, uh, we're doing a head coach hot board instead of offensive line hot board. I think it just plays out completely differently because there's no way that USC would have been able to to even keep up with the Alabamas and the Notre Dames of this season. So yeah, USC definitely got lucky with that sense. But I know that people in USC's athletic department were paying attention to the game and knew uh, the, the quality of, of plays and players that they were seeing on Monday. So, I mean, it's not like the athletic administration doesn't pay attention to the college football world, but like I said before, as far as careful in the, the higher ups at USC, I don't know if football is necessarily a priority in that sense. So uh, it's kind of twofold in that sense, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I turned on the game and I was like, this is just, this is really nice football. And I was like, I forgot what it's like to really watch like such excellent football. Of course they're, they're the two top teams, but uh, it, it was a fun game to watch in that sense. Yeah, no, for sure. And I thought it was Pac-12, like a Pac-12 crew earlier. I thought someone said that on Twitter and then it ended up not being a Pac-12 crew. It was like a big 12 crew because there was like no penalties for a while. I was like, this can't be a Pac-12 crew. And then it wasn't. Like, <laughs> There's oh, okay, no way. Sense, yeah. There's no way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we have an email from Lloyd who says, uh, how much input does Graham Harrell have in recruiting offensive linemen? Because look at what we, what he had in North Texas. Uh, I don't recall what he had in North Texas, but that's, a, I mean, you can't, comp- that's, I mean, that's about as apples and oranges as you get as far as offensive linemen. Um, if you get a guy like drafted in North Texas, I mean, you're, they're not coming in as four and five star players. They're coming in as two and three star guys that you develop and, um, or you evaluate really well and you find the diamonds in a rough. Uh, I don't recall if they were like great offensive lines at North Texas, but that's just, it's hard to compare. Uh, I don't think he's super involved in, the, you know, the recruitment of offensive linemen, I think he's going to be a, a voice that you would hear because you're going to, you know, talk about the offensive philosophy and things like that. But that's typically you're going to have your offensive line coach is, is going to be a big part of that. I think Graham's, you know, very involved when you're talking about the quarterbacks, but I, I don't believe too much with the offensive linemen. I think he has some input, but I don't think it's not like this, a situation where he's the main recruiter. But the, the type of athlete that you're going to recruit at North Texas versus the type of athlete you're going to recruit at USC are just night and day. So I don't think you can really fault uh, Harold for what he was able to do at North Texas in that sense. It's just it's a completely different ballgame uh, in terms of recruiting. <laughs> and if it was so Graham Harrell's like not like known at he's not like Dante Williams or recruiting like a T Martin sure. is right. He was yeah. the offensive coordinator. He would have been super involved because that's just that's what he does. Like he's a you know huge recruiter. I wouldn't yeah. say Graham Harrell's like a huge recruiter, but he obviously still there's going to be some involvement there, but not not to the level of like when a T Martin was there because that was his thing. He was a great recruiter. Yeah. And speaking of recruiting, Ryan, I'm actually going to move on to another email we had, and it's from Don. Uh, he says, Ryan, I noticed that Rajon Davis had good things to say about his top four great coaches, development of players, etc. But the nicest thing he said about USC was that it was close to home and his family loved SC, but he didn't really say much about Helton, the coaching staff, the football program, which I think confirms your stance that USC recruits itself. Don. Don, I don't think that's my stance. Um, uh, but there's inherent advantages of being at USC. You're going to be in on guys like a Rajon Davis, even if things are going great. Um, but you have to, it's, it's a more competitive landscape now. And I feel like it's one of those things where you, 
for the most part, you just have to not screw it up. And the, the 2020 class, USC just screwed up. They just screwed it up. They went five and seven the year before, all that stuff. Like that's you know a big reason why all that was happening. But you can recruit at different levels when you're at USC. You can get a better class than you could ever get at Cal by not trying most years. They didn't last year, but most years, like you can do that. So in that sense, USC recruits itself. Just your floor is usually a lot higher than other people's floors. And sometimes your floor is higher than other people's ceilings um, in the PAC 12. And so in that sense, yes, there's a, 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 you recruit yourself, but if you want to be like we mentioned, recruit with the big boys, you actually have to be competent as well. And they brought in a lot better assistant coaches. And, uh, you know, now you have a top 10 class, which is great. Um, it's not the kind of elite classes that USC had before, even though you got the number one player in the country, that's a huge boost. I think, uh, Rajon Davis is most likely going to sign with USC. That'll uh, boost up USC a little bit too. Um, but there's still some holes. I mean, there's, you would like to get a couple of running backs. You'd like to get a couple more, you know, inside, uh, linebackers, you know, is there a, you know, five-star left tackle in the class? No, I mean, there's not, and there hasn't been for the last couple of years. So there's certainly been some that USC didn't recruit itself to that. Like you want to fill some of those needs. You want to get to that elite status. It's not USC recruits itself. If USC was winning and going to playoffs and stuff, and you didn't try as hard on the recruiting trail, you probably would do even better, you know, but a lot of it's not just like how hard you're recruiting. It's, you know, what are you doing on the field? The better USC is, the better that brand is. I think the more quote unquote, you know, USC recruits itself becomes a true thing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's, it's, there's multiple factors and I think USC has kind of rested on, Oh, well, USC recruits itself. And that's why you've seen the classes uh, you've had, they've had, especially when you're not winning. It just doesn't work out. So, yes, there are built-in advantages that put USC above, I would say, most of the Pac-12, if not all of the Pac-12, but you can't just rely on that. And I think that's what we've seen lately. So the fact that USC needs to win, actually have recruiters on the staff, it's it's a whole combination of things and not just USC being USC. Yeah, there's only like a certain, there's only a certain number of programs in the country that can recruit a like a top three class and USC is one of them. Like, um, I mean like Texas A&M could get like a top five class. I don't know if they could get a top three class. Like obviously Alabama can and Ohio state can and Clemson and stuff. USC is one of those teams, but you can't just be USC and get that. Like you want to have that yeah. kind of class. You want to have the kind of depth that Alabama has as dudes just come in off, you know, Oh, that guy's a five star. He's been sitting on the bench for two years. Like, you know, what has Najee <laughs> Harris done you know, for the last couple of years? Like, not much. Um, he came as a five-star that would be the, the corner piece of every, you know, program in the country. He, like, waits Which, his turn there. And now it's like... And USC recruited him, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was a California kid. You know, USC, yep. tried. USC ended up getting uh, Stephen Carr. Um, which, you know, great player, too. But, yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely advantages doing that. USC is one of those only programs that could be a top three recruiter year in and year out. But you got to have... You got to be better on the field uh, than what you're seeing right now to do that. Yep, um, exactly. Do a voicemail. Sure. All right. Here's the voicemail for you, Keely. Hello. This question is for Keely and Ryan, and I, I basically I just wanted to call in, and, and I think that there's a little bit of rose-colored glasses going on with the whole 
Urban Meyer deal. I know that he's not, you know, technically an option at this point, but uh, even if he were to be an option, I'm not saying that you wouldn't necessarily take him as a head coach because clearly he's been very successful. But I do think there's an issue of rose-colored glasses to an extent because uh, I I wonder if people remember that in his years at Ohio State, he only made the playoff twice and got blown out once like shut out, blown out once, not just like beat badly, like he was shut out. And, and he's an offensive coach. So that, to me, that pretty much falls on him for getting shut out. So, um, you know, I mean, he's obviously a great coach. and But, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of rose-colored glasses. And, and I mean, they honestly, he, he even kind of had the same problems that Pete did post-Texas of, of losing games during the season he shouldn't have lost and uh, that impacting the postseason. So, um, so anyways, uh, you know, maybe, uh, obviously he's, he's a very, very good coach, and I'm not saying whether you do or don't take him, but I, I just wanted to kind of address, you guys kind of address the rose-colored glasses aspect of, of Urban Meyer in, with, our, with our boards. Fight on, Jason Longhorn Country. Jason, what's up, buddy? Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's sort of like, let's see, I'm going to give a, a food analogy. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like, okay, we don't even do a food analogy. You're like, oh, you know what? Um, you know, I won the lottery, uh, but, you know, I saw over there, there was like a 5% tax for the poor. Like, oh, it's not even worth it. You know, like what? I got $300 million. It's just, uh, but I had to pay that extra 5%. This sucks. You know, like what? You guys have rose-colored glasses about this lottery stuff. Did you know about the tax I just had to pay, like the 5%? Um, that's what I feel this is like, Keely. Uh, this, yeah, he only made the playoffs twice. Well, he won a national championship. I think they got blown out by Clemson the year they won, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, he won. He's he's won three national championships. I mean, he won a couple at Florida, too. You remember those? Like, do you remember Tim Tebow and all those guys? Um, you remember going undefeated at Utah? Like, I'm not sure what kind of road rose colored glasses you want, but there's, there's no, like if you had your pick of coaches that are available right now, there is no better. Like he would be, I don't think anyone would argue he would be the best football coach USC could possibly hire. And it's not even close. So I don't understand your stance on rose colored glasses. Tell me where I'm wrong, Keely. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I, I get it. I I know this is unpopular, but I wasn't like as huge on the whole Urban Meyer train as I think everyone else was. I, I totally agree. He's a great coach and everything. I think across the board, there's just a sense of desperation from USC fans where some of the, the maybe not Urban Meyer, but like some of the other names that they've thrown out of possible replacements for, for Helton have just been like, what? That doesn't make any sense for all the other complaints you have about Helton. Like even they've throwing out guys who've never been a head coach before or stuff like that. All the, all the things that we say were issues with the clay health and hire to begin with. So I think there is a level of desperation with USC fans right now where they're kind of just throwing out whoever kind of as a life raft, just because they're so over helping as a, a head coach uh, for USC. So I just, I think there is a little bit of desperation. I don't know if you can apply that to urban Meyer though. How about that? <laughs> Yeah, and if, if I'll try a food analogy here. So if you're going okay. like you've got a restaurant, right? And you have like a pool of chefs to choose from to run your restaurant. You're it's it's been a great restaurant, it's been running to the ground. 
you're going to play somebody. And you have like Gordon Ramsay is one of the choices. And then there's like, I don't know, the guy that runs the Denny's down the street and then some other good, you know, decent ones. But like Gordon Ramsay is like by far and away, like, okay, he's amazing. Now the food will be the best, right? Like they're, you're not going to compare with like the food. They'll, you'll get the most publicity. Like it will be so recruiting wise, like you would get the best recruiting just by hiring Urban Meyer. If he didn't even, if he just stayed in a, his closet all day and didn't come out and do anything, you would still recruit better just because you have Urban Meyer. So Gordon Ramsay would bring the most buzz. He would have the best food, but he's kind of like prickly, right? Like there's, there's off of, you know, out of the kitchen issues with, with Gordon Ramsay. Like if you have any like moral issues with Urban Meyer stuff, whatever it is. But as far as like running your restaurant, like there's a clear number one. Like if you just want the best football team for USC, like bring me somebody that would be better than Urban Meyer. I don't think anyone could make an argument that would do that. Um, but there's obviously there's more that goes into it. But I, yeah, to me, it's not like rose colored glasses. You're like, yeah, you know, Urban Meyer got blown up by Clemson that one year. Um, you know, it's, it's, did they like beat Alabama when they were like, you know, crushing everybody and they were the number four seed and then win the national championship? Oh, they did that too. Oh, did they win like a couple national championships at Florida where he turned them around and did he go undefeated at, at Utah? Like he's done it, Bowling Green, he's done it everywhere. Um, so to me, this is like a no brainer if you just said, who you have infinite money, you have infinite, whatever you have power, who would be the best guy to coach USC football? Like I'm going urban Meyer. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. And the question is like, he, <laughs> what, what's that noise for Ryan? I don't know. I'm just like, I'm, I get it. Like if you just put all the other stuff, the side, like, <laughs> is there a better football coach? Like, I don't think there is. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, you want Nick Saban? Like, uh, Nick Saban, yes, he's better. Like, he's the best sure, of all time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think I'd rather take Urban Meyer over, like, Pete Carroll, who's, like, 70 years old now, you know? I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, he's just just proven track record, record from place to place. And I think part of the process that USC administration would go through they're not just looking for like, who's the fly, you know, the, I mean, I guess you could, the best argument, like Andy Edfield was like the darling of that tournament, right? When, uh, they go to the sweet 16. Yeah. I, I don't think you just get the guy that's hot right now. I'm not saying, you know, it, they would put a lot more research into, okay, did Andy Edfield, how did he build it? Where was he before? All that stuff. All that stuff might be great too. I just don't know enough about basketball. Um, if they're putting that together, yes. There's everything you look at, what Urban Meyer's done, you know, what did teams do when when he's left? Um, you know, has he been able to do it multiple places, multiple ways? He has, you know, it's just he changes things. And and we get to see how his mind works on the Fox broadcast. And every time he talks, you're like, Yeah, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, to me, I mean, that's just me. I'm sorry, I don't mean to belabor the point, but I, I'm not agreeing with you, Jason, in the Longhorn country. Yep. Sorry, Jason. Welcome, Sark, not, to not, your uh, Longhorn country, by the way. That's crazy to me. I don't know why. It's just so hard for my mind to wrap around, like, to wrap my mind around the fact that, like, uh, Sark's standing next to Bevo, and, like, it's just weird to me. I don't know. I mean, I I, I did Austin radio. It's funny. I got a text, or a couple of texts from people that were in Austin. They're like, hey, you're blowing up down here. I'm like, what do you mean I'm blowing up? Like, oh, you're, because I was going, doing some radio show. I think it was one of their popular ones. And they're like, oh, they're promoting it. They're going to talk to Ryan Abram about Sark. I'm like, oh, God, okay. I didn't realize this. 
Um, but Texas wanted Urban Meyer, right? Like they wanted yeah. to try to bring him in. They're bringing in Sark. I think Sark could work. I mean, I'm, you know, we got to cover him. It was like, I mean, it's some of the craziest stuff we've ever seen covering college football. And I hope, you know, all the demons are, are past them and he's, you know, recovered and it's going to be great there in Austin. You wish him all the best and you know, really hope he does. But I would say there's a pretty big chasm between what your, your, your likelihood of Urban Meyer succeeding and likelihood of Sark succeeding. I think Sark can be successful, but I mean, there's one, one to me, Urban Meyer is much more of a sure thing, you know? And so yeah. you get a great guy. They have all the resources in the world. And the next guy they got was Sark. Um, I, to me, that just shows like, yeah, there's this, it's a, he's a white whale, right? Like you don't even know he's right now he's talking with the Jaguars and the chargers. You know, he might go to the NFL. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, I, I don't think he's going to end up at USC. I just don't think politically, no. I don't think any of that makes sense for football. It makes a ton of sense, but for the other stuff, the way, with the way everything's structured right now, I think it would be really tough for USC to bring him in. Yeah. I just don't think it's a, it's a viable option. And, and the thing I've heard, too, and I don't know how uh, how legit this source was, but I had a source say that, like, Urban is kind of out on the whole, like, player, like, empowerment movement. And I think that's why you're seeing him go next to the NFL, because he's much more in that mindset of, hey, we're professionals and we're going to uh, just coach you like I'm, I'm the guy. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, Ryan, but he I, I had a sense and from a source that uh, he just doesn't really he's not really on board with the way things are evolving with college players and like how empowered they are at the same age i don't know if that that's what i've heard and so i think that's why he's he's more focused on the nfl right now so just some food that, for thought that would be interesting and i i mean i think a guy like Dabo sweeney is sort of in that category like he does things his own way right he'll yeah treat the coronavirus the way he wants to treat it he's not necessarily going to be you know as PC maybe as you want things to be now as the landscape has changed. Right. But he's, he's a proven winner as one champ. He's, he's at a place where he's already won championships. They're not going to say, get out of here, Dabo. We don't like, you know, your politically correct, you know, incorrect stances on certain yeah. issues. He's a winner there. Like if, if urban Meyer was already at USC and then it sort of developed, that'd be one thing, but yeah, it's hard to bring somebody in. Uh, if you if you don't feel that they're quote I guess you know PC enough or whatever for what the the current times are, sure yeah exactly. Um, we have an interesting email from Don, <laughs> and I, I maybe you can speak into this Ryan, uh, but he says Ryan Graham Harrell question mark I don't believe Clay Helton knew who Graham Harrell was until Keeley started promoting Harrell as the best choice for OC. If Harrell leaves, who does Keeley believe should be the best OC for USC? Harrell is great for producing good uh, quarterback passing stats, but I don't believe that his system will produce great football teams. I have not bought entirely in on Keaton Slovis. Uh, difficult when the offense is mainly schemed for big passing stats. Who uh, gets the offense? Uh, who gets to the playoff first, Keaton or JT? Don. First off, hey. can I just clear the record? Yeah, go ahead. I, <laughs> I don't think I was the one promoting Graham Harrell, and I don't think Clay Hilton heard me and then decided to make a choice off of that. So I'm just putting that out there for the record, Don. <laughs> According to a source, um, that's the reason Graham Harrell hired. Uh, I mean, yeah, Clay Helton hired Graham Harrell is because of Keeley's <laughs> recommendation. Um, no. Uh, no? Is that not that no, my source is wrong? Okay. Your uh, source is wrong, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny about that. Like, we might have mentioned someone. So I think when you're talking about that, 
I, it's hard to remember exactly how it all went down because the Cliff Kingsbury stuff was very strange. Yeah. Um, but it was, he was a pretty obvious one. We talked about him when we had to do a new, um, you know, hot board for offensive coordinator because he was sort of like, you know, Cliff Kingsbury light, right? Like he was, you know, hadn't had the success in college that Kingsbury did or the, you know, even the job title, but it was sort of, you know, he was another Mike Leach quarterback was going to run something similar. And so, you know, it's tends out to be different. You know, he's not someone that's having the quarterback run as much as like a Kingsbury does. And, um, you know, you're seeing what he's able to do with, uh, you know, with the Arizona Cardinals and stuff. And, um, you know, with a dynamic athlete at quarterback, uh, that's just running all over the place and, you know, making a lot of plays happen. So they're definitely different guys, just like, you know, Mike Leach and Harrell are different and Mike Leach and, uh, Kingsbury are different. Um, It'll be interesting to see if Harold does leave, which I don't think is going to happen at this point, but who knows? It's college football. Anything can happen. Yeah. Which direction they would go. My guess is they're going to keep, they're trying to keep in this sort of, uh, you know, air ready kind of offense and find someone else um, from that tree. I haven't really gone into it uh, as far as like researching replacements for a coach that doesn't need to be replaced right now. But that's uh, my feeling is that Clayton does like the offense. Um, I mean, does he like the fact that it was last in the Pac-12 in rushing? Probably not. He shouldn't. Um, I think that's something that's got to be addressed this offseason, even though Clayton's not talking about it. I think it's it's probably got to be something you have to address behind the scenes, but he's not coming out and admitting. I mean, just like the, I think uh, Harvey Hyde said this, Keeley. You just like to come out and say, hey, man, we were last in the Pac-12 in rushing. That's not good enough. Instead of be like, well, we, did, we ran really well against Arizona Arizona State, and then we had that one weird game and then there was this one and you kind of explain it all the way. But then UCLA, we had a, you know, Vivai was great. And it's like, okay, so the team ran for a hundred yards. Like it wasn't like you had one guy do well and the other two, two backs do nothing. Um, he, he sort of was explaining it away as opposed to just, this is an opportunity, right? To say it wasn't good enough. I told you we wanted to rush for 175 yards a game and we did for two games. And then we fell off a cliff. I need to make sure that that doesn't happen. Me and Graham are going to sit down and we're going to, we're going to change things this off season. And part of it is getting a new offensive uh, line coach instead of saying, here's the statement we made on getting rid of the offensive line coach, which he did to Ryan Carsey with the LA times, come out and say, this wasn't good enough, you know? And I, I get, you want to be positive, but I'm just not understanding why you can't come out and say something like that. Keely. Well, I've had this issue from very early on in like the Clay Helton era with just the messaging and the PR, there's always just some positive spin, which I would have liked better if they just have a sense of reality in what they're saying, you know, instead of trying to spin it away or make it seem better than it is. Like you said, Ryan, just coming to terms with what we can all see, you know, Hey, we didn't get it done with running and, and we need to, we'll, we'll self scout this off season. But then on the, to play devil's advocate to my own point, when Clay Helton has done that, you know, like, Hey, we're going to address penalties this offseason. That doesn't happen. It's not really fixed. Like the things that Clay Helton has identified as areas of fixing haven't really been fixed. I mean, turnover margin was the one thing that was fixed, but I think that's more credit to Todd Orlando and USC's uh, uh, DB's coaches and the fact that they're getting turnovers in that sense. But, you know, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where I don't think Clay Helton can kind of satisfy in either way he goes. You know, he could spin it positively and we're going to be frustrated by that or he'll say it and then we won't really see fixes so can you really help I don't know but that's something where you know 
this offense, I think you have to take the good and you have to self-scout the bad this offseason because you have two seasons of, hey, the first season, Keenan Slovis did so well and put up numbers where he was mentioned in Heisman conversations for the next season. And then you have to self-scout, hey, why did Keenan Slovis look the way he did? Why did the run game kind of take a step back? Why did the offense uh, kind of regress as the season progressed? So I think you need to identify what worked well, obviously, and then identify what went wrong this past season. Is it just Keenan Slovis needs to work? Is it just that they need to be more creative in the run uh, schemes? I don't know. But I think that there definitely needs to be self-scouting. And I think this offense has the potential to be good or be more electric in that sense. But whether or not they're coming to terms with the fact that they need to reevaluate some things, I don't know. You know, and that's yeah. something we've talked about a lot is like after the Cotton Bowl, was that was there a sense of reality of, hey, yeah, we looked OK, but we just got killed in the trenches. Do what? How do we fix that? You know, ha- have they learned from those mistakes? I don't know. You know, that's kind of a long, long rant. Uh, for your question, Ryan, but yeah, I, I don't know. They need to they need to piece together what works uh, coming into this next season. Yeah, I like the rants. It's good. And his last part: who makes the playoffs first? It's JT Daniels, Don. Like US, Keaton's got one more year probably at USC, and I don't think they're making the playoffs. So I don't. Know. What do you What do you think, Keely? No, I definitely think JT. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, they got, just Georgia already of- has like a playoff talent, you know, like playoff caliber roster, so they got a better shot than USC right now. Yeah, the pieces are there for Georgia, and they're in the SEC, and I think they just get a boost no matter what. So it's definitely JT, and that's yeah. Sense. I would, and I would think the like the road is easier to like win the conference at USC. Like you don't have to beat Alabama to win the Pac-12, yeah. but you can finish second in the SEC and still make the playoff fairly easily. So yeah, I think that it's JT Daniels for sure. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty, we have one last email. And it's from Steven San Diego, who uh, is referencing an email we got last week from AJ. He says, Ryan and Keeley, I want to give AJ in LA a half thumbs up or half vote of confidence on his comments on Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna. I agree. As alumni, we do focus too much on the immovable object right now in Clay Helton. However, here are other things the dynamic duo could do since Clay Helton is untouchable. Training staff. Why haven't, uh, why can't we get people fired, retired, or just flat out sent packing? My Lord, some of these people are still left there from when I worked with the football team from the 91 to 95 seasons as a student. This staff needs to go. Burn it all down and start over. They can't get players healthy, period. Recovery times are longer than my 91-year-old grandma when she goes in for an operation. If a player gets a bruised finger, they're out for half a season. When the next coach does get here, and he will, and he will just not soon enough, the existing training staff is almost as big of a liability as the damage Clay is doing to the program right now. The administration. We have not heard any. Uh, we have not heard of any additional turnover in the administration at the athletic department. The dynamic duo made a splash firing some dead weight. We have not heard of any additional personal personnel changes for over a year now. We need more fresh blood, but we have not had any in, in any other aspects of the athletic department for over a year. I agree. Bone and Company are a major upgrade for the previous section, and I do give credit for the changes they have made. They just need to get out a bigger axe and cut down some more deep-rooted trees. There have been some improvements. I completely agree. But there are other things that are obvious even to the casual USC fan that were that well that are well below subpar and do not involve firing someone with the initials CH. Steve in San Diego. That was a mouthful, Ryan, but uh, a lot of everybody's name. Way to get yeah. through that. I I like the little like first of all, he acknowledged like, okay, we're gonna say you can't fire Clay Helton. Now he's still mentioned firing Clay Helton like three times or so in the email, but uh just sort of was like new, like, okay, we're gonna assume that doesn't happen. 
Um, there's some interesting points there. I don't know enough about the training staff. Uh, I mean, if it has been a lot of the same people since 1991, like, yeah, then, you know, there probably should be some, some turnover somewhere. Um, if that's happening in, and yeah, I thought there might be some other bigger athletic department hires uh, that they haven't made. I don't know if the pandemic had a huge part of it. My guess is it did. Um, but they also kind of seem like a crew that sort of keeps it the, the circle tight. You know, I don't know if they're going to bring in a whole bunch of people. Um, but if there was a pandemic, it'd be curious to see Keeley if they would have brought in a few more like high profile, you know, athletic administrative type of guys to uh, kind of help them out. Yeah, I mean, there have been moves. I just don't think they're as like flashy as the casual fan would think that they are like they're not going to be newsworthy items that the fan would know about so there there have been moves it's just like it hasn't been like that one day where we saw like the mainstays of the athletic department uh go but i i don't know ryan i think i think it's still a work in progress so i understand where steve's coming from but i think it's still a work in progress yeah and as far as like the tra- like that's something that should be evaluated i like i said yeah. i'm no trainings expert but and I don't know if they have, uh, to be honest. I'm not sure. I mean, that's something we could try to find out. It's like, hey, is this something that, you know, maybe there were adjustments made that we didn't hear about or something. But it's, there have definitely been enough injuries where you're just like, well, you've blown out some strength and conditioning coaches, but, you know, is there other aspects too that that need to get better? Or is it just better training for the training staff that's there now? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, or that might not even yeah. be a problem at all. Like, that's not really, you know. I don't want to be speaking out my butt on this, Keely, but just you know, try to answer the question. <laughs> but there's enough uh, data points, if you will, that there is something wrong somewhere in USC's recovery operation for its players. You know, just like I go back to Port Augustine standing in the middle of the Coliseum field because he can't get a cart <laughs> because he can't walk back to the, the, the Coliseum locker room. Like, how does that happen? Or why does Daniel Monterbebe have such a long process? Or what's happening with Solomon Tulel Pupu? You know, stuff like that where, I, I, like I said, I'm not obviously a doctor. So maybe that's more on the player's recovery than it actually is the, the recovery surgery process itself. So who knows? But there's enough evidence where something is not quite right with the way that USC's players recover and, and how they are uh their injuries are identified and maybe sometimes not identified correctly. So it's something that's worth looking into. And I honestly just don't know if USC has done that yet. So something to definitely look out for. Yeah, no, that's for sure. There's, there's, there's too much smoke around the injuries and like players like leaving the program and then playing somewhere else, but they couldn't play. You know, there's, there's just been too much of that, that something isn't quite right. Right. Like something's not, Something's not right. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it's just not it's not what we've seen from other programs as far as certain injuries and how they recover and and we've heard stories from guys who've transferred and speak more candidly. Like sometimes it just hasn't gone well with the medical staff, and that's something that definitely needs to be evaluated. So we'll we'll have to ask about that because it's a key part, and that's a good point by Steve. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for. Uh, listening here to our this episode of the Peristyle podcast my apologies we were supposed to do a tunnel vision on sunday i really just wanted to watch my steelers play and then they lost they <laughs> lost to the browns so i shouldn't have canceled the show because you know it would have been fun to talk but we'll we'll try to do one this week 
Um, we're setting up. Uh, don't think Shotgun's going to be able to make it, so we're going to try to find a replacement. Um, but look for uh, Tunnel Vision coming back uh, on Sunday. My apologies for not, uh, you know, not making that one happen. I should have just sucked it up and, and did the show. Uh, all right. Well, Keely, good stuff. Uh, thanks again thank for coming you, thank on. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right. And uh, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 